on this episode of Action Film Face-Off. Before I wish for your annihilation, any last words? <laughs> they called me Sausage and Biscuits. <laughs> Hi, Sausage and Biscuits. I'm Biscuit and Gravy. <laughs> oh, man. The Long Box Crusade presents Action Film Face-Off. This episode, it's 1957 versus 1955. Two films enter. One film leaves. Two men enter. One man 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 leaves. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, then go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hit. Welcome back to Action Film Face-Off. This is a show where two random years are selected. My brother will bring an action film from one of the random years. I bring an action film from the other random year. Those two films do battle. We use a variety of criteria, and the champion's going to be crowned by the end of this episode. I am Jared Albrick, the yard sale artist, a.k.a. Death Probe. My co-host is my brother, Jason the Weasel Skull. We're both military combat vets who take our action very seriously, but not too seriously. We're here to have some fun, and I want to welcome you all to this year's Retro Rewind episode, where we have recalibrated our randomizer. And uh, as Jason said in the intro... We got 57 to 55. We, when we recalibrate it, we set it from 1950 to 1969. So that's the window we had. And we got some fun stuff. And I had never seen either of these movies. So this is Blind Fire Retro Rewind for me, Jason. Same with me. I haven't seen either one of these. Brand new first time watch for both. Yes, indeed. We are going to score each of today's films on a scale of one through 10 in five categories. What are those categories? They're the story, the overall spectacle, the best action scene, the hero, and the villain. And we're still not doing it in that order. I don't care if it's retro rewind, regular rewind, Halloween film face-off, or fear film face whatever we call it. We're doing it in whatever order we want. Horror film face-off, that's what we call it. But at any rate, at the end of it all... We're still going to have that deduction round where up to 10 points can be subtracted from the film's total for whatever we determine is the low point of the movie. Thank you, Jason. Today we are joined by Sniper. Sniper has one point to give in each category, so the Sniper can sway the scoring a total of five points. Now it seems like it's been one, two, three months. You know, Kathy comes on every quarter, and Kathy is back. Welcome back to Action Film Face-Off Studios. Kathy. MVP. Hello, hello. Kathy, I always have to come up with a new question for you every time because you're the... (laughs) I was worried about this. I make them up on the spot. I just thought of it, though. I thought of it. Here we are, Action Film Face-Off, Retro Rewind episode. We have a very Western theme going on tonight. What are your three favorite Westerns? Considering I honestly don't really watch a lot of Westerns or didn't when I grew up, the ones I remember seeing the most, Magnificent Seven. Ding, ding. Can I combine that with Westworld because it, they're both Yul Brenner and that's the reason I've seen both of these? We'll let you pull a pat. That's absolutely fine. Yeah. Blazing Saddles, the comedy Western. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I love it. And then I might go, so I, well, I've already did a comedy. 
let's go with Young Guns. Why not? It's classic. It's, you know, incredible cast. So that's my three and a half. <laughs> that is excellent. Now, before our two films enter the video, Dome Arena, we are thrilled to kick off this episode with special shout outs to our Crusaders Club members. These are the fine folks who have joined our crusade. They enjoy early access to special long box episodes and so much more. These are the folks reaping those benefits and giving some much appreciated support to our shows. Angelica Wolf. Oh. Over and Elvis. Blasted or stash it. Braxton Underwood. Clinton Robinson. Captain Entropy. Dave Collins. Battle Wagon. Ezra Gallo. Gary V. Gerald Green. Jason King. Jason Lady. Jeremy L. Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman. I hope you like Jim Jarman too. Jim Mill. Joe Thomas. John Watson. Josh Strickland. Candace Ward. Hey, it's you. It's the captivating Kathy Bright, our MVP. Matt and Lissy Paso. Mark Ross. Maxwell Traver. Miranda W. P.D. Devins. Paul Heeks. Rick from Jeff and Rick Present. Rob Morgan. Samantha Maney. Sean Urbanski. Spidey67. Spreadsheet. We're counting on you. Steve Cronin. Tim Price. Tony Pennington. And the Toronto Cop. We missed anyone on the list. We apologize. We record these well in advance for release. So if you're recent edition, we'll add you soon. But still, if there's a problem, just send an email to contact at longboxcrusade.com. We will get it straightened out. If you're asking yourself, how do I get in on this? How do I become a Crusaders Club member? It's very simple. Go to patreon.com slash longboxcrusade. For as little as $1 a month, you get access to the amazing world of Crusaders Club. We're talking all the access. So come and check it out. That's enough of us trying to get their bread. Let's go ahead and start spraying some lead and get back to the action. Get back to these film gladiators about to do battle for your pleasure. This episode, I was assigned the year of 1957, and I selected Night Passage. What year did the randomizer select for you, Jason? Well, I got 1955 and put into our Videodome arena, The Violent Men. Now that is quite the fine matchup. It's important to point out this isn't Jared versus Jason. We each had to select from our assigned year. I might like his selection better than mine, vice versa. This is really about us discussing some beloved action films, Coming to that consensus on which one is going to be this episode's champion. Quick around the room, where did we see it? I have both of these films on my Plex, so there you go. Kathy, how did you see these? I watched them on Jared's Plex. Thank you very much. I'll send you a bill. Well, I watched The Violent Men. I got it off of Apple streaming. I think I paid $2.99 for it. So if it's cheaper than $2.99, maybe I'll watch it off your Plex. That's not too, Jerry. And for Night Passage, it was hard to find. I couldn't find it streaming anywhere. So I ended up going on Amazon and ordering a DVD copy of it. Watched it the old-fashioned way. Oh, man. <laughs> man, oh, man, the DVD. And, you know, that's how I think both of these came to be on my Plex. Eh? Uh, once went to a library sale locally, and they were selling, like, West, like someone had donated a Western DVD collection and I bought them all and I ripped them all to Plex. So I got somebody's widow. <laughs> yes. We are not keeping these anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, it was a lot of them. Oh my goodness. All right, folks, here's your spoiler warning. We are going to spoil the heck out of these movies. 
They are from the 50s, though, so, you know, give us a break. But you know what? We're still going to give you a spoiler warning. You have until the other side of this musical break to watch these movies. We'll see you on the other side. Okay, guys. Warning's done. Let's shoot some guns. What am I, Jason, all of a sudden? I like it. Let me jump in with some quick info on 1957's Night Passage. Universal International presents James Stewart and Audie Murphy as the McLean brothers of the wild high country, riding different trails, following different codes. They're making up a supply train in the yard. I want you to ride it with $10,000 in your pocket. That's a pretty big gamble on a man that gave his horse to a thief, isn't it? Co-starring Dan Duryea as Whitey Harbin, ruthless leader of the Boomtown Plunderers. I was boss, we wouldn't do it. You ain't boss! Diane Foster as the camp town woman, Charlie Drew. If you want me, take me away right now. Please, please take me. Elaine Stewart as Verna Kimball. Was a time when you were interested in me. A man likes to know his woman will back him when he's down, and you didn't. And Brandon DeWilda as Joey. A pawn in a grim struggle. That's what you want to tell me? Go on, move! Night Passage, a roaring, lusty drama of Boomtown days. Told in the story of two brothers moving toward a deadly rendezvous deep in the mighty gorges of the Great Divide. So you don't want him in, huh? No. I didn't buy what he had to sell then. I'm not buying it now. Funny thing, I want him in. If I leave here, that boy goes with me. Joey, why do you want him? Maybe for the good of his soul. It's been a long time since you heard that word, hasn't it? You'll get that money even if you have to kill your own brother? Your cast and crew is as follows. It starred Jimmy Stewart and Audie Murphy. It was directed by James Nielsen. Synopsis goes a little something like this. Grant McLean is a disgraced troubleshooter for the expanding railroad. Disgraced because he let a criminal, the Utica kid, escape from a train robbery. Grant let the kid escape because the kid was his younger brother. But the railroad has a big payday that they need moved. And they think this tired old accordion player that Grant has become would be an ideal mule for the cash. No one would suspect him. And of course, a gang descends on the train to steal the payroll. And of course, the gang includes the Utica kid. So the question becomes, where do the loyalties lie? With the brothers? The railroad? The gang? Each other? Find out. And for my interesting trivia, I pass it over to the lovely Kathleen. All right. I was given strict rules. To abide by with the number of trivia nuggets. So here we go. <laughs> I don't think she can do it. She's, you can't see it, folks. We're on video. She's sweating. She's sweating. <laughs> well, I'm looking at because she technically has three bullets. I haven't read them, but the, they're like 
40 paragraphs long. So <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, They're I'm just seen. as long as your synopsis usually are, Jason. Oh, no. <laughs> you, you didn't see my synopsis here. <laughs> I got to crap one out in 15 minutes before the show. <laughs> I can keep it brief, let me tell you. <laughs> Kathy, please give us the trivia. Okay, here we go. Director Anthony Mann refused to direct the film, saying nobody would understand it. He also said he believed the script was bad and Audie Murphy and James Stewart would not be believable as brothers. Mann pulled out of the project because he wasn't impressed with war hero turned actor Audie Murphy. Mann also was said to have thought Stewart was only making the film so he could play his accordion. After the film opened to poor reviews and business, Stewart never spoke to Mann again. Trivia nugget number two. James Stewart wasn't impressed with the script, but accepted the role of Grant McLean because he believed the part would allow him to show off his skills as an accordion player. Isn't that kind of what man thought he was doing? However, all of his accordion playing was re-recorded by a professional prior to the movie's release. Accordion to who? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Trivia nugget number three. The film had two movie stars of great military distinction. The only movie star ever to attain the rank of Brigadier General, Jimmy Stewart, and the most decorated soldier in the U.S. Army, including a Medal of Honor, Audie Murphy. The bonus trivia nugget is, I like to talk dollars. The box office draw for Night Passage was $2.6 million. Jason, you have the floor. All right. I will give you the rundown on 1955's The Violent Men. The Violent Men. It's the tale of a greedy rancher and his quest for land. You're selling out, Captain. I'm going to run the anchor wall clear around the whole valley. Of a scheming woman and her thirst for power. Look at me when I talk to you. Of hired guns and hapless lawmen. There's no hunger like the hunger for land. Of peaceful settlers forced to take up their guns. Well, I don't believe it has to be that way. To kill and be killed. And the retired soldier caught in the middle of it all. You don't have enough money to buy me out. Starring Glenn Ford, Edward G. Robinson, Barbara Stanwyck, and Brian Keith. Don't force me to fight because you won't like my way of fighting. The Violent Men. The cast and crew included Glenn Ford, Barbara Stanwyck, and Edward G. Robinson. It was directed by Rudolph Matei. Synopsis goes something like this. John Parrish has survived the Civil War, gone west to heal from his wounds, become a semi-successful rancher, and engaged himself to a beautiful local girl. And now all he wants to do is sell his ranch, move back east, and get married. When the local cattle baron pushes too hard, however, those old cavalry officers' instincts fire up, and John gives the bad guys a war they won't believe. Get it? I give war. Give war they won't believe. They won't believe. Like a, like a Rambo reference. Yeah, that's right. All right. And for my trivia nuggets, back to you, Kathy. Well, keep in mind, there's not a lot of trivia out there on this movie. Number one. The wooden anchor that hung above the entrance to the Anchor Ranch in the film was given to the owners of the real-life Anchor Ranch in Lone Pine after the film was completed and to this day still marks the entrance to the Anchor Ranch. Trivia nugget number two. The horse stampede sequence comes from an earlier Western starring Mr. Glenn Ford himself, Desperados from 1943. And trivia nugget number three, which is my favorite. As with the night passage, not to the same extent, mind you, there is a bit of military service within the actors' backgrounds. Brian Keith served in the U.S. Marines during World War II as a radio man tail gunner in a Douglas SBD Dauntless dive bomber and received three medals 
and three battle stars. Glenn Ford enlisted not once, not twice, but three times to serve his adopted country. First in the Coast Guard Auxiliary. The following year, he volunteered for the U.S. Marine Corps Reserve, where he received several medals. And lastly, he completed his military service when he retired as a captain from the Naval Reserve, again, where he received several medals of distinction. And my final extra trivia nugget, the box office draw for this movie was $1.9 million. So huh. as, far as, as far as money goes, Night Passage won that battle, I'm assuming because of the stardom of Mr. James Stewart. And now that we have the basics on today's contestants. Ladies and gentlemen, test your might. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! It's a street fight. Okay, here we go. First off, let's talk about match game. There's two films, five categories. Jason and I can match up to 10 possible times. Place your bets. How many times are we going to match? Kathy, how many times do you think we're going to match? Six. That's exactly what I was thinking. I'm going to write that down. Let's see. We'll come back to that later. Speaking of scores, set your score barometer appropriately. If we give something a five, that means it's average. It's pretty good. You expect to see it on a good made-for-TV movie. Four, three, two, one is not so good. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It's very good. So there's your barometer. And with that, let's get into round one. Round one is the story. How engaging or original is the story? Let's start in 1957 with Night Passage. Kathy, your thoughts on the story? I quite enjoyed it. It's a charming little story of, to me, good brother versus bad brother shrouded in why did you lean towards jason on the screen when you said good brother, <laughs> <laughs> Bad brother. i saw it i noticed it too <laughs> i mean it's not wrong but damn that was a freudian camera yeah there, That's there. That was. <laughs> i don't know that is weird anyway good brother versus bad brother <laughs> shrouded in train robberies I feel like it's Stuart's struggle to protect and save the person he loves the most, who is his brother. And that's his constant battle throughout the whole story. And I actually quite enjoyed it. I, like I said at the beginning, I've never been huge. My mom loved Westerns. I was I didn't watch a lot of them compared to her. So I liked it. Did she join you in the, either of these and she likes them? She would stop by and watch a little bit here and there. But I think she probably... At some point when she was young, maybe have seen these. So probably, especially if she liked Westerns. All right, Jason, 1957, Night Passage. I think Kathy laid it out pretty well. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. It was a charming tale. Two things kind of stood out to me. Seriously, folks, if you haven't watched it and don't want a spoiler, you might want to stop here and go watch it. But the fact that Jimmy Stewart is trying to save his brother, there's a real spiritual element to it here. Because in the end, he can't save his brother's life, but you can argue he saved his soul. Because the last act that his brother does is defending his brother and a helpless child against the people that he led or kind of sort of led or was competing to lead on the bad guy's side. So that was really interesting. I like that spiritual aspect of it. The other thing that stood out to me is it could have been a very basic story. But it's a cut above because there's a backstory that's woven in there where they do a lot of show but don't tell. Like they could have had a lot of exposition 
Jimmy Stewart obviously had a relationship where he was engaged or almost engaged to the railroad baron guy's wife and something happened and we kind of get it revealed to us over time kind of what went down. And we get introduced to Utica Kid or Utica or however you pronounce it, Utica Kid and Utica Kid's girlfriend. We don't we don't even really know that she's his girlfriend. We don't know what this dynamic is, but that we get an early hint there. Okay, there's some dynamic here. So it like drops little breadcrumbs and kind of shows us through the film and weaves out an interesting backstory without bogging it down with a lot of exposition and dialogue. So I thought that was just well-crafted storytelling. So those were the two elements that stood out to me, the, the spiritual element of saving the brother's soul and just the interesting, intricate backstory that's well-woven into the script. I would agree with that. The only thing about the story that I thought maybe came up a little short and it'll reflect in my scoring was like I was invested too in like following the money like because he had it on him, then he hit it with the kid. Like I don't remember what happened to it. Like that... <laughs> That whole plot of actually like getting the payday from point A to point B, I lost that thread. <laughs> well, you got the to, money back. You, I just don't got... remember what happened to the stack of cash because like he had put it in the kid's box, and then I don't remember what happened to it after that. Yeah, he ended up telling him, but I think it the kid got it from the kid. <laughs> right. <laughs> I I totally lost thread on that. I kind of wanted that because in the first half of the movie, I was like, oh, okay, he put the money in the in the kid's box, and I thought, oh. The, and I think the little kid hit it, you know, maybe somewhere else. And then it just kind of kind of got away from tracking the money after a while. I knew I for sure it was going to be in the accordion at some point in this yeah, movie. How too. disappointing is that? I so too. <laughs> that was, yes, agreed. <laughs> ah, anyways, let's rewind a bit and go back to 1955 for the violent men and Kathy's take on the story there. This story I actually even enjoyed a little more. I liked the idea of this uncommon hero, even though he's a military man, he's still an uncommon hero because he wants to, doesn't carry a gun. We'll talk about all that in the hero section, but he doesn't want any trouble. He wants to stick to himself, but yet he stands up for his friends, his neighbors, and they all try to overcome the impossible odds of the greed of this ranch owner and this property owner. I really enjoyed this story in this one. As did I. Jason. I'm with Kathy. I think I like this one a little bit more and we'll reflect it in the story. And admittedly, it might be the veteran in me that really likes the veteran character. It's something that just spoke to me kind of personally. He's obviously somebody who wants to put the war behind him, wants to get on with his life desperately. He gets pushed to the point, and they kind of made the Rambo joke at the beginning, but it does almost kind of have a Rambo vibe. Like, this is a guy that once he's pushed to this point, he's going to bring a war to this cattle baron, and, and he does. And the other thing that I really liked about the story is in most Westerns, including the night passage that we talked about earlier, you have a story of gunmen. Like, who's the fastest gun and and who can kill the most people? And and we saw a lot of that night passage, like, oh, I can draw faster. I can draw faster. And, Ooh, I'm a better shot. And all this stuff. And Parrish isn't necessarily a gunfighter. He's a soldier. 
And so he's going in there and he's outwitting instead of out gunfighting these folks. And we see that when he takes down the, the main bad guy gunfighter in the bar, how he acts all meek. And that's Sun Tzu. When you're strong, look weak. When you're weak, look strong. So he's in there prepared. He goes in there to, on the mission to kill this guy, but he goes in meek and he gets the guy to act first and then pins the guy's gun arm, like doesn't even give the guys a chance to get the gun clear of his holster, pins his arm to the bar and just calmly shoots him in the chest and walks out, you know, and it, you see a lot of this, a lot of, a lot of soldierly tactics and, and strategy and the old adage that if you find yourself in a fair fight, you didn't prepare enough. You see that in this movie, and I really like that. It's an aspect you don't see in a lot of Westerns that really stood out, particularly in the third act of the film. The only thing I'll add is things that you don't see in a lot of Westerns. I fully expected having, you know, read the little synopsis and, and half hour into the movie going, okay, well, you know, Ford's going to square off against uh, Edward G. Robinson. And then you find out the, the layers of the villainy. Like Edward G. Robinson isn't even the villain. Then you got Cole, who's his brother, who's who's meaner than he is. But even Cole's like, like yeah, I, I'm only really doing what you're telling me to do. Like Cole has fewer scruples, but he's not truly evil. The bad guy is the lady of the ranch. And mm-hmm. ain't the violent men. It's the violent women. <laughs> yes, indeed. I like. I was really impressed with that layered storytelling because you know, you in all these movies, it's always like, oh, here's here's the guy that owns the big ranch you got to go defeat him and his cronies and then you win but no man it was her pulling those strings then you had the layer of her daughter kind of knew what was going on didn't like it you had glenn ford's character's uh fiance who i knew early on i was like no no she ain't the one she ain't she ain't the one she's not get out for it i just really appreciate that that they added those layers to what's usually a pretty cookie cutter western and that's really what set it apart for me Okay, well, uh, there's nothing left to do but double back and score these films. Uh, let's go back to Night Passage 1957. Jason, on a scale of 1 to 10, how'd you feel about how about old Jimmy Stewart playing the accordion? That's pretty good, man. They had a little Sean Connery undertone there. <laughs> they all do. <laughs> you know, I liked it to a tune of a 7, Jared. I, I think it was a fairly simple script in, in most respects, but I did like that backstory and the way that they wove it in there. And it kept me engaged all the way through, like, oh, what's the story between these two? And what's the story between this guy and this guy? And he doesn't like him, but he gave him his coat. I don't understand. It makes you just want to follow it along. So seven for me for good storytelling. I wanted to say when you were doing the description of the story, it's definitely a movie like on second watch. There's so many more things. You're like, oh, that makes sense. Because at the beginning, when he's talking to uh, the kid's girlfriend at the bar, I'm like, do they know each other? Is he just being flirty with this way? Like, and then you're like, oh, he does know who she is, you know? No, I agreed. I, I was like, huh, they obviously know each other. And he was kind of speaking to her in a way that was disapproving slightly. And you're wondering, like, well, what is this about? When was the last time you saw him? <laughs> you know, those type of questions. And yeah, I agree, Kathy. I thought it was it, it was really well done. As did I, which is why it leads us to our very first match game. I also scored it a seven for the story. Let's shift gears to 1955 and the violent men scale to one to 10. Jason, I'm going to bump this one up to an eight. It may be the Homer in me that just really liked the soldier story. 
it can be set in any time. It can be set with John Rambo post-Vietnam. It could be set in a modern-day tale today, post-Iraq or Afghanistan, any post-World War II story. This story of a soldier in the West, it struck a chord with me. I haven't seen anything quite like it, to be honest. And anytime something speaks new to me in the Western genre, I'm going to give it a good score. So eight from me. Match game number two. We are off to the races on this one. I also scored it an eight. Well, Kathy, load up that uh, bullet into your six shooter. And who's going to get the bonus point? Do you like Night Passage Story better or Violent Men? Up to you, Kathy. I am going to give my sniper bullet to the story of the Violent Men. I enjoyed this story just a little bit better. I feel like it was more in-depth. It was a bigger, better story for me. Yeah, I thought it was slightly more gripping. I would agree. Well, that is the end of round one. Well, that means it's my turn, and we're going to go into round two and talk about the hero. Don't force me to fight, because you won't like my way of fighting. We're going to talk about the hero of Night Passage, old Jimmy Stewart. What do we think of uh, Jimmy and the crew there, uh, Ms. Vittles. Are we gonna <laughs> we gonna give any bump ups for Ms. Vittles? I like Ms. Vittles, but it's not my turn. It's not my turn to talk. It's Kathy's turn to talk. Let's talk about Jimmy Stewart and Night Passage. I have not seen a lot of Jimmy Stewart movies. I'm not gonna lie. My favorite is a movie called The Greatest Show on Earth, also involving a train. He plays a clown. But anyway, I really actually enjoyed him maybe played the accordion a little too much for my taste but i found him very charming sweet natured protective of his brother of this kid invested in what happens to his brother wanting to save his brother from the bad that he knows his brother's doing and i just i really enjoyed him i thought it i thought it was a great character he turned down a promotion or a new job even though that's what they agreed on and he still wanted his old job. Like he was just a simple guy doing good for the world. So I thought he did a great job. Yeah, I agree. I think that's really one of the aspects that stood out is just his ability to navigate the world. He had taken a bunch of L's to get to where he was in life, uh, but he still had his confidence. He still had his pride. He still had his dignity. Made for an impressive character, but people don't want to hear me talk about it. They want Jared to talk about it. So go ahead and take it away, Jared. Pretty much what you said, both of you guys. I mean, it's it's not complex. You know, the big charm of him is like you were saying, Jason. I mean, he's taking a lot of L's. I mean, he had every right to be <laughs> to be angry with his little brother because his little brother basically ruined his life. <laughs> you know, he did his brother a favor and he lost everything for it. You know, but he rolled with it. He was like, you know what? I'll just play my accordion for nickels and dimes and this is who I'll be. And he just kind of, he's kind of got just like never lets life get him down and he doesn't hold on to anger. And the man, that's a good way to live right there. So yeah, definitely enjoyed Jimmy Stewart. I have to agree with Kathy too, though, that like the whole, I'm going to use this as a vehicle for my accordion skills. I was like about two minutes into the accordion play. I was like, shut up. You've got to shut up. Stop it. I just did not. I think I start a riot if you don't stop. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, I just did not enjoy it. Like, it was a little whimsical at first, but then it was like, okay, you've got to stop. I was going to say at the beginning of the movie, that whole first scene with the miners at the camp, you know, with the painted ladies, the hussy women. Mm -hmm. 
that's that whole scene was very music man like the musical music man i don't know if either of y'all have seen it probably not but it's very it like good for the last starfighter in it <laughs> yes it does great movie okay it's very good anyway the way that the miner talks to him it's very like his cadence when he's speaking is very musical while he's trying to beg for the jig to be played you know so he could dance it's hard to describe if you haven't seen the music man or really any musicals from that age but just the way they talk is very like oh no i picked up on it because i was like <laughs> what kind of horse crap movie did i <laughs> and, i mean it started off like it was going to be a musical which is totally fine with me because i love music i did but... not have the same vibe i was like what come on <laughs> Was Isn't that what the cover looked like? For a 90-minute movie, I have to suffer through like eight or ten minutes of this. Come on. Let's get with the pew, pew, pew. But who, but who doesn't love Grandma Grandma Walton? That's who Miss Finney, oh, is that, I think. Is that That's who, is that, I thought it was Miss Finney or something like that. I could have been. It was the one who kept uh, calling all the ladies hussies and all that. Oh, the yeah, wife. she's from yeah. the Waltons. Uh. She threw the first punch in that thing. <laughs> she, was she wasn't playing. Nope. Oh, man. Okay. We still need to talk about John Parrish from The Violent Men. And Kathy, why don't you give us some thoughts on uh, old John and the crew there? Bravo, bravo, bravo. I have become a Glenn Ford fan. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I don't know that I had ever seen any of the movies he's been in. Kind of reminded me a little bit of Cliff Robertson who y'all know from our L.A. trip, I adore. But anyway, as far as the character, he was reluctant, but believable hero. After being in the war, he wanted to keep to himself, heal, move back home to the East. He grew close to his workers and decided to fight to do the right thing by them and the community because he knew he had the capabilities to lead because of his military service. He didn't want to do it, but he did it because he knew it was the right thing. Once he saw his ranch hand get murdered, he was like, no, that's it. I'm, I'm taking over. We're going to solve this problem it. today. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. There were just a lot of layers to this cat that I really enjoyed, but I could spout on too long about it. I'm just going to go ahead and let Jared pick up the baton here and run with it. Yeah, I mean, this character, just like it did for Jace, you know, struck a note with me as well as a. Uh, as a military combat veteran, it's debating on how much real truth to give our listening audience right now, <laughs> but I definitely identify with it. You know, I'm, I'm not John Rambo or even John Ford or anything like that, but I think all of us who have, who've gone to war, like nobody wants it anymore. Nobody wants the violence. I can't speak for everybody, but I personally don't like the fact that I have a switch in me, but if I flip it, we're going all the way, <laughs> you know? And that's what it did. And that, that resonated with me too. You know, I don't, I don't want any parts of that life anymore, but that piece of me is still there. And thank God I never had to flip it. But if I saw it on the screen and I went, yeah, I get it. <laughs> I get it. I go maximum speed too. So yeah, I, uh, I don't mean to get all heavy and stuff with our listening audience, but yeah, they, it felt right. Character felt right. It was interesting to me. Two things really stood out. One, is his men did not agree with him selling that ranch, did not agree with him moving east, and still had a lot, tremendous amount of respect for him. You could tell, even though they were going through a tough time, and he's 
he's having to defend his decision all the way and they're not having it. It was interesting because there was one character that was obviously had fought in the Confederacy during the war and said, hey, we faced down with you, you guys at the battle of something. I guess you're a lot scarier when you're coming at me instead of when you're running away. Oh, and you saw mm-hmm. that he about mm-hmm. flipped that switch right there. But I, he, I was he, like, mm. <laughs> oh, you were this close, son. But when his hand gets shot and killed, like I knew he's not going to let this go. He can't let this go. And not only does he not let it go, but he knows his men are going to get themselves into trouble. He knows they're going to walk right into this ambush that this corrupt sheriff and all the posse have set up. And so what does he do? He sends his men back and he himself goes into the lion's den to square off against that man's killer. And that, that I thought, was his way to protect his men so they wouldn't get in any trouble. He, yeah. So he did two things. He avenged the death of his man and he protected his other other men, which, man, just really masterful. Anyway, I'm stealing it here. So, you know, I wonder if that is what made Glenn Ford so perfect to me in this role is because he lived that life. You know, I don't think he saw any combat but yet he still lived the military life. So I think it had him fit in. And plus, one of the things I meant to note earlier in my discussion of him is the actor himself. He trained with Roy Rogers. Like, I was wondering, I'm like, he sure looks very comfortable on this horse, like getting on and off of the horse. I'm like, did he train specifically for this? The man trained with Roy Rogers. I suggest anyone listening Check out the Wikipedia pages for these actors. There's some incredible reads. I went into a deep dive with a lot of these actors, and there's some great stories. That's I awesome. trained with uh, Bob Evans. <laughs> yeah, down on the farm. <laughs> <laughs> they called me Sausage and Biscuits. <laughs> Hi, Sausage and Biscuits. I'm Biscuit and Gravy. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, where do we leave off? Okay, we've talked about both films. All right, folks. Well, we've talked about them. It's time to score them. I'm going to pass it over to my brother to see what kind of score he's giving Jimmy Stewart. You know what? I, it's Jimmy Stewart, so it definitely, you know, there's a baseline involved there. Mm-hmm. And he was really charming in this. I think the accordion might have cost him a point on my score, but I gave him a seven. We haven't got to the deduction round yet, Jared, so I'll just, <laughs> we'll just leave it there. I see. Uh, All right. Well, I'm going to give him a seven. Well, we're at match game. I think that overall, the character, Stuart puts it on his shoulders and carries it all the way across the film. But, you know, that really good script helps it along as well. Yeah, some of it was a little bit much, a little, a, a little too sappy in places. But for the most part, I thought it was really good. And uh, landed on seven as well. So match game number, what number are we on here? Three, I guess. We're three for three. Well, let's see if the score continues. We're going to go over to John Parrish, old Glenn Ford, and see what kind of uh, score you gave John Parrish and the Violent Men. Well, this one's interesting to me because as far as I know, I might have, but I don't remember seeing any other Glenn Ford movies. This might be my first Glenn Ford. I've heard the name. You know, I knew he was like a cowboy movie guy. And I was like, okay. You know, he didn't get that Jimmy Stewart benefit, right, from me, but he got the bump up, and I gave him an eight. 
I will say we've all seen Glenn Ford in at least one movie because he was Jonathan Kent in Superman. Oh, that's right. He did play Holy cow. I did not even know that. That's right. He did. This is why we keep Kathy coming back folks, for, <laughs> for these moments right here. Okay. So we've seen one Ford movie at least, but I'm with you, Jared. I really, I haven't seen any Glenn Ford Westerns that I can recall. So for the first one, this sets the bar high for me. And I'm going to match you one more time with an eight. And Kathy, it's up to you. Are you going to deny Jimmy Stewart that bullet and give it to Glenn Ford? Or is Jimmy Stewart going to get it for old Lang Syne? I'm going to have to give it to Glenn Ford. I'm a fan. I really enjoyed him in this role. It, I mean, he's Clark Kent's dad, first of all. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm very interested in doing a deep dive and going and watching a lot more Glenn Ford movies after this. Oh, man. Jimmy Stewart just lost to a Canadian. <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> Canadian, right. Canadian American. He's got dual, <laughs> dual citizenship. Hey, he fought for our country, not for Canada. So he sure did. Well, at any rate, that concludes round two, and I'm going to pass it back to my brother to take us into round three. Is that your best? Round three is the villain. How menacing is your villain? How interesting is your villain? How entertaining is your villain? Night Passage, 1957. Let's look at that villainy. I give it to Jason. It's kind of interesting because you have the whole gang and you have Utica Kid, the other guy that was kind of the leader of the gang who is so memorable, I forgot his name, and a few other guys. So there was a lot of potential there, I think. I like what they were trying to do with the dynamic between the Utica Kid and the leader of the gang. I never once got the impression that Utica Kid was ever really in danger by any of those guys. A lot of what I think they were trying to do was lost on me. As far as Audie Murphy as the villain, you know, by himself goes, that's interesting because of the element with his relationship to Jimmy Stewart's character, obviously. But overall, I think there was a missed opportunity for a little bit better of the villainy element in the story. Kathy. I agree. In my notes, I have less obvious. I've got Concho question mark, Utica question mark, Whitey question mark. I think what would have solved the problem Jason just discussed is if it would have just been one. There are too many to give a background story for each one of them to make us fearful or concerned about any of them. So they just didn't substantiate a leader. Like, I was completely confused. I'm like, I didn't know who was leading the gang, to be honest. I think I read somewhere, I think it was intentional that Jimmy Stewart's character was named Grant and his little brother's name was Lee, as in the two. Ah, well, that is uh, that is interesting. And I agree with you guys. The biggest problem with the villainy is there was like we had plenty of villains telling us how tough they were and how fast they were and why they're the boss. But like, just show me that. I, I don't need a guy telling me he's tough. And, you know, maybe that was done on purpose because, like you said, the Utica kid was like, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> like he he was not concerned about any of that stuff. He's just playing the game, and maybe that's why they did it. Let's have these guys talk and bluster. But Utica knows what's up, so. <laughs> Maybe it was the fact that he kind of got them to do all the dirty work. Wasn't there one scene where he kind of stayed up on the mountain 
while the other two guys went down and closed off the train car that had the police. Yeah, the the security detail. And then he kind of went around the other way and just came up at the end. I want to keep thinking that he was the leader, but Whitey was supposedly the leader of the whole gang, right? It was just very confusing. Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I think there's a bit more interesting villainy to be talked about in The Violent Men from 1955. So, Jason, take it away. Yeah, that was complex. And I liked it because it sowed the seeds at the very beginning. You get the image of the man in the castle that's doing all these evil deeds to the peasants in the field, right? You've got this baron that's living in this huge house that we don't see at all, like in the first act. We don't really see him till about act two. But the story that we're getting is this just evil man that's gobbling up all the territory. And it seems very black and white. And when he rides in to make a deal, negotiate the price of his land, I was thinking we'd see the evil Mr. Wilkinson with his army of 'er ne'er-do-well land robbers. And we don't see that. We see a weak old man that can't even walk. In their first conversation, I'm left scratching my head because I'm ready to hate this guy. I'm ready to hate this guy out of the gate. And I'm like, I don't know. I hate this guy. Who am I supposed to hate here? And then we see Cole. And I'm like, okay, I'm supposed to hate this guy. This is the guy I'm supposed to hate. But then Cole has this kind of touching romance with the Mexican woman in town. And even Cole's story could really have gone in a different way if he'd made different choices. And Cole's just kind of a simple man that's trying to do right by his brother, except for, you know, hooking up with his brother's wife. That's kind of. And that brings us to the wife, who is really the true manipulator and evil genius behind this whole scheme. And it's just really well done, manipulative storytelling that was screwing with my mind going into it. And so just well done with the cast of villains and quasi villains in this story complex refreshingly complex for a western of this genre kathy pick up the pieces it's funny you use that phrase as opposed to night passage where it was a montage or a sprinkling puzzle pieces of all different villains there were multiple villains in the violent man but they were revealed one after the other just exactly how jason said it so it made it was like You get lulled in and you think, oh, okay, this is the guy we're supposed to dislike. And you're like, oh, wait, no, it's this person. Oh, no, it's this person. So it was more, it was the way they revealed it piece by piece versus just tossing them all out there like Jack's and, you know, just pick whichever one you want. And, you know, I didn't think about it until you just said that about Cole, because at first I'm like, oh, this guy's such a jerk. He's the one that's going out. But, you know, all he wanted was the girl. Like, that's all he, he even said. He's like. Come on, you go with me. We'll leave. We'll go away from all this. And she wasn't having it. She wanted the ranch. She wanted it all. And all he wanted was her. I just started thinking, I was like, well, maybe I did like Cole. But anyway. <laughs> there definitely were some, yeah, redemptive qualities about him, or at least potentially redemptive qualities. Yeah, it's a lot of layers in that one. And just to put a plot twist on it, Barbara Stanwyck, you know, uh, who played Mrs. Wilkinson, uh, played Ma Kent in the Superman movie. No, I made that up. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Jason alluded to it a a minute ago. 1955 cowboy Western movie and the female lead 
she's the female lead. Like she's the lead. <laughs> that guy. That's a that's a gutsy and different choice. When she threw her husband's crutches into the park, <laughs> I was like, oh bloody. She was oh, like, no. I found my out. Woo-hoo. Oh no, he died. Oh, he made it out, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, was crawling out of that ah, too. Ah, ah, gonna die in this fire. <laughs> How did he get it? He didn't. He never went down the stairs. He like went to the side of the stairs and oh, then somehow got out. <laughs> One way or the other, that guy went down the stairs where the stairs used to be. Okay, guys, let's double back score these. The villainy, such as it was in the Night Passage, nineteen fifty-seven. Jason, one to ten. Man, I'm conflicted here. I really want to give Audie Murphy at least a seven, but I just can't. I can't quite go there. I think well, he's if such we, a he's like such a gray area villain too. He is. And if it had been something like, and I know it was a remake, but I didn't see the original 310 to Yuma with Russell Crowe, that scene where he's the bad guy. He's the guy that the good guy is trying, <laughs> trying to get, you know, get to the jail, get to get to the train. At the end, he's so impressed with the hero that he ends up fighting side by side with him. If we had had, we kind of had something like that, but it just got to be too much of a mishmash of during the shootout when they were all going down. I couldn't, okay, that guy died. Uh, I don't remember his name. That's the guy I think at the bar. None of them were memorable to me. And it was just a lot of wasted potential. Long winded way for me to say six. Our match game streak continues at five for five. (laughs) So I also scored it at a six. I have a sneaking suspicion it's going to continue again in 1955. Jason, I'm going to ask you point blank and period. Are you going to match my eight? Yes. Ah! Yes. (laughs) The villain was so complex in this one. And it was at least as interesting as the hero element. I just sat riveted. Right up to the end, where that Mexican woman finally just said <laughs> enough. I was like, well, you had a good run, lady. <laughs> I really got the sense that behind the camera, they were like, this lady's pure evil, but it's still the 50s. We can't have a dude shoot a woman. We'll have the woman shoot the woman. <laughs> I was wondering, you know, at that. And they didn't scene. show it. They did it behind the wall. They actually right. didn't show yep. it. Yep. True. Yep. But I was like, she can't live. There's no way. After all the things she did, I was wondering how they were going to resolve that. And even how they resolved it was pretty brilliant for the 50s. I had that inkling when she went to visit Mrs. Wilkinson in her like apartment. And she's like, look, I just want I just want coal and I want to be gone. And that'll be it. And she's like, I'll take everything from you. That's when my light bulb went off. I was like, Mexican girl going to kill her. Dad, this is where, where it's going to go. <laughs> You're married to a Latina. You know what kind of <laughs> I know the signs. <laughs> <laughs> all right all we got left is the sniper's bullet kathy you're gonna take pity on <laughs> night passage or are you sticking with barbara stanwick over there in pilot man well even though one of the first movies i ever watched in a classroom in high school was audie murphy in the red badge of courage i am gonna have to go with the violent man because the onion of villainy that we had was just too good. So my bullet's going to go to the violent man. I thought that it might, and I think it was well-placed. And I also think that's the end of round three. Got you f***ers at a bad time. 
Well, we are moving through them. It's round four, and it's time to talk about spectacle. And what do we mean when we say spectacle? We're talking the effects, the stunts. We're talking the scenery. We're talking the camera work. We're talking the soundtrack, all that stuff, all the good things about a film that we throw into that blender, and then we mix up to perfection. We're going to open it up right now, and I'm going to go back to our, our guest and have Kathy talk to us a little bit about Night Passage. And what did you think of the spectacle? Honestly, this was the most impressive part to me. The scenery is absolutely stunning. I realized when I was studying up for this podcast that I may have seen this train in Colorado because I have been to the Royal Gorge that's in Colorado. This particular train that still runs excursion routes goes through the Royal Gorge. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> so that excited me when I was doing my studying. But that, especially that particular scene when they're on the train on the flats, I believe is what they called it. He's playing his accordion, but it's very low, moody. And they're talking. But the scene behind them of the river going through the mountains them on a train, that would just be a dream for me. Like, I wanted to be up on that train with them, not during the robbery, but anyway, <laughs> I would have been out on the flat so you can see the scenery. But to me, that was my favorite part. Spectacle-wise, the scenery, cinematography, the music, it all made for an enjoyable film. I agree wholeheartedly. I think you're right that this is where the movie gets a little stronger is with the spectacle. But let's let Jared deck onto that and see what he has to say. I completely agree. The strength of this movie is in its scenery. God bless the location scout for this movie because whoever that person was definitely related well to the director who got the cameraman, the cinematographer, as Kathy mentioned, in the right spots. I mean, one of the hallmarks of Western movies is just beautiful scenery, right? They always find really beautiful places to shoot. And I can't even think of another Western that had as beautiful scenery as this movie. There's just so many shots that I just stopped. and was like, wow, that's just like, I want to be there right now. That looks so gorgeous and inviting. It We'll get to it in a minute. The Violent Men had great scenery too, but lay, lay the two next to each other. And this is Night Passage's strength. It looks really good. Some of the background music was, was fine. There was a little too much accordion for me, but not so much that it's going to, it's, Nightpass is going to get a real good score from me, and it's really based off of cinematography. Yeah, I agree entirely. Right from the moment when the credits were rolling and we see Jimmy Stewart just riding out, it's like my eyes are fixed to that screen. And they did a really good job about really putting like that creepy abandoned sawmill as the final action sequence, a secret passage through the mountain. Just really cool scenery and just the use of it how they made such effective use of what they had abandoned towns where secret headquarters of the bad guys were really gave it a cool feel but i need to move this thing along and let's talk about the violent men and the spectacle there kathy why don't you lead us off again unlike what jared just said i feel like the violent men had a even bigger and better spectacle that opening scene the music even though the title says the violent men were showing flower covered meadows, horses being ridden across the plains, the mountains in the background, it was just spectacle personified. And where his ranch was, when they were first showing up to his ranch and I saw the location of his ranch, I'm like, 
how would anyone ever sell that property? I would go there right now and live there for the rest of my days because it was incredible. The Anchor Ranch, that house, incredible. Inside and outside, I thought the sets were incredible. Even the little town was very quaint. And I just think, again, this one had a bigger story, but I also think it had a bigger spectacle with the cinematography and the scenery. And I think I'm done. No, sounds good. Jared, what do you have to say? It was very gorgeous, but I just liked the <laughs> the scenery and night passage a little more. I just say, I don't know, maybe the mountainous, the trees, and giving it a little more color. I don't know. But I'll tip my hand a little bit and say this is the one category where night passage is going to beat the violent men for me. Just flat out beat it. And it's going to be because of Kathy's fun fact from earlier, from the trivia, the reuse of the stampede footage stuck out like a sore thumb and that really hurt the spectacle for me it took me out of it i was like this is clearly stock footage or reuse footage just clearly i'm surprised with a movie where they cared that much about the beauty of it that they went with that maybe they ran out of budget time something i don't know but that hurt it a bit not saying i hurt it a lot it's still gonna get a good score but that was the tipping point that allows night passage to get a higher score and we'll talk about scoring in just a minute once we hear what jason is saying I did have one other thing that made me think of this when Jared said that. I will say one negative about the violent men is once it got to be dusk, like it was much harder. I don't know if they used the day for night filming process back then or not, or if they were actually filming at dusk. But those whole scenes where they're burning down all the ranchers homes, like you could barely make out whose face was who because everybody was gray. Like mm-hmm. because of the lighting. So that was a little bit of a negative that Night Passage does win over the Violent Man. Yeah, good point, Kathy. Good point to both of you. Jared, I agree it, with the stampede. It was like, yeah, that's, that's stock footage right there. It did take me out of the film as well. I just overall thought that, and I'm tipping my score a little bit, but I thought Night Passage was just a little slicker and more effective of the use with Violet Men, I really got a sense of like the town was kind of cookie cutter Western town, like a staged up Western town feel. Well, enough said. Let's go ahead and get it done and score them. Jared, what are you? Let's just lay it on the table. What are you going to give the score for spectacle for Night Passage? I'm going to give it an eight, actually. I, I had told you it's going to be strong, and it's pretty much all on the shoulders of just beautiful scenery and really good camera work. Man, we are matching shot for shot on this. I'll add to the beautiful scenery, the good camera work. Like I said, the use of the sets, that final gun battle was worth the price of a mission itself. The stunt work in that gun battle was worth the price of a mission itself. It's It was just magnificently done. And we haven't talked about the train itself. I really just enjoyed seeing that train going through that country with that scene with him and that little boy on that flat car. Uh, It was just wonderful. Just really wonderful. So match game eight. Let's move it over to the violent men. So is that stock footage going to bring it down to below seven category or where we landed on that, Jared? I'll land it at a seven. Stock footage took me out, but it was also very beautiful. Just not quite as polished. And that's all right. It still gets a seven. I'm with you. I thought seven as well. I mean, well above average for a film that what they had in there was gorgeous. 
They did really good work. I love that ambush scene in the evening after he burns down the house. I thought that was just great. Lots of decent camera work in there. Just a couple blemishes. Yeah, seven for me as well. And that just leaves our sniper. Who's getting the bullet, Kathy? I had originally thought that everything was going to go to the violent man. But after discussing, after hearing y'all's thoughts, I don't think I can give it to the violent man just because I think it was just his ranch is what I was so fond of in the violent man. I agree with y'all with Night Passage, the little mining town, all the different sets were much more unique. I loved how they incorporated the ore bucket, like to send her down, you know, for her to escape. And then I just, I can't not give it to the train ride because like I said, I would do anything to be on that train right now going through those mountains next to that river. So my sniper bullet's going to go to Night Passage. So let it be written. So let it be done. It is in the books and it is time to go on to round five. It's time to die. Round five is the best action scenes. Uh, there's not a lot of them. So Jason doesn't have a whole heck of a lot to break down, but there's some decent stuff going on here. So Jason, what do you think? Well, I'm going to have to crowdsource this one a little bit, Jared. It's been a long work day, so I had to come home and throw this down real quick. So like last time, we're going to do this in real time. Night Passage. I got the fist fight with, I think it was Concho, you said the name was, when he was roping that kid. And Jimmy Stewart had to smack him around a bit. So we have the rope the kid one. There's the shootout in the bar that leads to the escape near the end. And then the final shootout at the mill town. So rope a kid, we'll call that one rope a dope. The bar brouhaha, we'll call that one. uh, I'm trying to think of, uh, oh, no, his organs on fire. (laughs) He'll play that again. Oh, no. (laughs) He was looking at it all sad. I'm like. <laughs> third song. And then there's the final shootout at the mill. We'll call that one. Um, it's not okay at this corral. <laughs> All's not okay at this corral. Okay, got it. Kathy, which one's your favorite? I'll go with the last one. I think we all will. Yeah. I thought he was going to redo and say all those. I didn't know it was. Okay. No, we do it live. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so going on to the next one, to the violent man. I think there's the VAR fight when he shoots the the bad guy gun shooter, kind of shoots him in cold blood. We'll call that one, um, let me buy you a shot. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. And then there's the ambush where he sets his own house on fire. Ambush these nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Ambush these nuts. (laughs) Works for me. All right, ambush these nuts, and then uh, the final gunfight where he guns down Cole there at the very end. Cold blooded, <laughs> cold blooded. <laughs> there we go. All right, so there you go, Jared. I think we worked it out. All right, that's to me. There's two strong ones here, and that's the uh, you know the ambush and the final shootout. I don't know, Kathy. What do you think? I'm going ambush because I, I wrote down that's my because it was clever, was unexpected. You know, it had to have a plan. So I love the ambush. That was that was my favorite scene of the movie. I think I'm going to agree with you. I actually think an ambush was the strongest moment. What about you, Jason? We'll make it unanimous. I thought that was the strongest moment. I mean, up until that point, I was like, where are the violence in these violent men? <laughs> Come out. 
Okay, well, let's score them. Going back to Night Passage, everybody likes the final shootout. Jason, 1 to 10. I like that one to a tune of a 7. I thought it was good. Not the best shootout that I've ever seen, but cut above. Match game number 9. We might have a clean sweep going. (laughs) I don't know. All we got left is to not screw up the scoring of this violent man. (laughs) Ambush scene. Jason, what do you got? I went seven on that one, too. It was a little bit different, but I really enjoyed the psychological element of them getting prepared for the ambush. Really had a military feel to it that I appreciated in a Western. Ten for ten match games, ladies and gentlemen. Have we ever done that? I don't think we have. I don't think we have. Match game maximum overload. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Kathy, which one of these two films had the action scenes that you loved the most? If you had to pick one, which bullet would you give? Of all of them, uh, the ambush, the ambush scene in The Violent Man. There you have it. That is the end of round five and perhaps our first ever total match game. That's crazy. That is crazy right there. Action film face off first. Well, I guess it's just up to me to take us through the round of the ridiculous. I'll be back. The deduction round. Are we going to take any points off of night passage? Go ahead and knock it off for that organ. If you don't, I will, Jared. I, I'm I'm gonna leave the accordion alone. I took it out on the scoring. I don't like it, but I took it out on the scoring. So I'm not gonna do any other deduction. I mean it didn't I liked it when it caught on fire. I did. <laughs> I'm gonna leave it alone. What are you taking off for it? Minus one. We're just gonna take one off for it. I'm doing it right now. All right, deduction round for the violent men. Are you taking anything off of the violent men, Jared? No, I'm not going to take anything off for Violent Men. There's nothing that stood out to me on that one that I was like, oh, Balderdash or Puppycock. Not even the stock footage? I took it out on the score for Spectacle. <laughs> I, I built in these. Yeah, I mean, it's worth a mention in the deduction around the stock footage did take you out of the film because it was like the film was of a different grain. It was just so clearly reuse. You're right. I didn't like that, but I, I took it out on the scoring. So I'm Yeah, I felt the low. same way. I'm not taking anything else out either. Let's put it to bed. All right. That's the end of our official rounds. Okay, folks, don't worry if you haven't been keeping up with the math, because we do that for you here at Action Film Face Off. First off, we always check in with Match Game. We already made a big deal out of it. It was 10 out of 10. I don't know that that's ever happened before. Then we always check in with the sniper bullets. Kathy gave four of her five bullets to the violent men and one to Night Passage. And looking... At the judges' scorecards, the winner of this episode of Action Film Face-Off with a score of 80 to 70 is The Violent Men. Well, congratulations to The Violent Men. Now let's head over to the randomizer and find out what the years are going to be for our next episode. My brother Jared will be pulling a film from... Choose Your Destiny. Nineteen ninety-seven, And I will bring a film from... Choose Your Destiny. Two thousand one. And what will those films be? Well, we're going to tease them for you on social media for those who want to watch 
before listening. We're thinking of you, Dave. You like to be prepared. We know you do. You got that film set up in your battle wagon. Or if you just want to come in cold, you can just tune in next episode and find out and have a good time. We'll all have some fun. Until then, I'm Jason Weasel Skull Albrick, and you can find me on social media at Jason Albrick on Instagram and on Thread. And you can find me, Jared Albrick, the yard sale artist, aka the Death Pro, at X, Facebook, Instagram. It's all at Yard Sale Artist. You can check out my artwares at www.theyardsaleartist.com. Kathy, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube at AUKathy2418, and that's Kathy with a K. Awesome, awesome. Be sure to check out all the shows under the Longbox Crusade umbrella by subscribing to, of course, Longbox Crusade on all your finer podcatchers or, of course, on YouTube. Or you can check us out directly at www.longboxcrusade.com. If you'd like to send questions or comments or tell us what you think about these face-offs, well, there's lots of ways to do that. Check out Longbox Crusade on X, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and oh, by the way, when you're on the Twitter slash X which somebody recommended the other day. They should just call it Twix, which sounds delicious. Uh, <laughs> while you're there, check out at AFFO podcast. We have our own feed there. We're happy to chat with you there as well. And as always, you can leave a voicemail at 707-532-5269, 707-532-LBOX. Pick up the phone. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you listening. Until next episode, keep your head down and, and your, your knuckles, knuckles up. The intro and outro theme to this show and all of our action film face-off shows are done by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9. You will not regret it. Don't be an asshole. Break out your lasso. <laughs> You'll be here all episode. Am I reading your synopsis too? No, no, I'm about okay. to. <laughs> He's waiting for me. I wait for Jason to get out of his system and then I'm going to continue with the show. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go for it. <laughs> See, I did a little pause there because I knew I was going to insert the trailer and Jason was like, no, <laughs> you and your pause. <laughs> Peek behind the scenes. I. Message Jason and Kathy reminded them, okay, this is a Kathy episode, so she's in charge of the trivia. And then I went and started filling out the script and I filled in the trivia. Like I just texted you guys, don't fill in the trivia, and I filled in the trivia. Because you gave Jason a hard time because he did it last time. Jason did it last time. I didn't this time though. Let me finish this Eminem. I just popped in my mouth. Sorry. Kathy, you gotta be ready to go on the show. (laughs) So Eminem breaks. Don't make her choke, man. This is a safety hazard. She got she to gotta get that in. Right, while, she's, while she's getting that fixed, speaking of breaks, I tried a little sip of brake fluid the other day. You see what it tastes like? Mm-hmm. And now I'm drinking a little bit every day. And my doctor thinks, he's like, dude, I think you might be addicted to brake fluid. And I said, I can stop whenever I want. <laughs> <laughs> get it? I can. I didn't help Kathy at all. <laughs> it made it worse. <laughs> In a Douglas SBD Dauntless Dive Bomber. You fellas getting excited yet? SBD's nuts. <laughs> Jimmy, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart. Now I can't do the voice. <laughs> it's a tough one to nail down. I'm not going to lie. Let's do Sean Connery and move on. No, I'm going to. How many is given Jimmy Stewart? <laughs>
<laughs> I just sat here and did the math in my column, and then the math in your column, no one got <laughs> the <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>